On February 25, 2016, the Bipartisan Living Donor Protection Act was introduced in both houses of Congress to eliminate barriers to living organ donation. In honor of this momentous bill, ASN Executive Director Todd Ibrahim speaks with Liz Kasparite, a polycystic kidney disease patient who had been in desperate need of a kidney, and Maria weaver Holoniski, an altruistic donor who came to her rescue via social media. The two were a match and recently underwent a successful transplant procedure. Here, they share their story and explain how one person can save a life by being a living organ donor. So thank you both for joining us for today's conversation. Oh my gosh, so yeah, excited. Liz, how did your transplant go? Transplant went wonderfully. Uh, on September 17th of last year, I received a living donor transplant from Maria weaver Holonicki, who's also with us. And um, it really was, I would say, for how complicated it was, it went extremely well. I have polycystic kidney disease, so my kidneys weighed about 10 pounds and were just shy of the size of footballs. So I had both of my original kidneys taken out and one of Maria's kidneys put in. And as I recall, it was a paired donation? Um, originally, Maria and I are a match, but we had no matching antigens. So we originally went into the paired donation pool, and we're going to be part of a four, well, an eight-person, but a four-kidney swap. And unfortunately, somebody's antigens changed in that time, so we were unable to do the swap. But since Marie and I were a match, I was able to take her kidney directly. And what surprised you most about the process? I guess I'll ask you first, Liz, and then Marie, I'm curious as to your perspective. I think just now, um, being about five months out, I've started to come off some of the extraneous medicines and definitely starting to feel a lot better in, I would say, the last month. And even my husband was just saying to me the other day, he's like, I can't believe you had a kidney transplant. And I think it, it <laughs> just unreal almost. Um, I was surprised at how not different I feel. I really thought that I would somehow come out the other end feeling very different, and I feel I feel like me, only better. Mm-hmm. And, and for Maria, what was yeah, what was sort of most surprising to you about the the process? Um, well, I have first have to echo the fact that I do have to think. Oh yeah, I had an operation a couple of months ago. I've got one kidney because I feel so completely normal. And of course, for me, the healing time was a lot quicker. Actually, my point where I said I'm back to normal was six weeks, and I was completely, like, running around doing everything, feeling perfect. Let's see. The thing that I think most surprised me is how smoothly and how wonderfully the whole process went for me as a donor. I attribute a lot of that to UMMC, University of Maryland Medical Center, where we had it, and to Dr. Garge, who did mine. Um, I had such little pain afterwards and such a relatively quick recovery. Everything from the very beginning straight and through, it was, it was easy. It was easy. What's that? And such a tiny scar. My tiny scar. I know. They told me that I'd come out of surgery with a Band-Aid, and I did. And my little teensy-weensy scar and my belly button. Um, but it really, like, everything is the same in my healing the first week I slept a lot, the second week a little less, and the third week I started feeling normal again. And I really feel like six weeks out I had my full energy back and everything. So, you know, they always try to prepare you for, well, you could have a complication. Um, you know, most people take this long to heal, but it's possible that 
it might take you longer or if you herniate, blah, blah, blah. And um, I feel like I had the best care and, like, the best experience. It was it was seriously easy. Like, if people constantly, oh, you're such a hero, and it feels weird because it was so not a big deal for me. It was so easy, and it was more of an inconvenience, really, than a major operation. And people have a hard time believing that, but I swear to you, <laughs> I had such little pain. I had such little complications afterwards. It was amazing. And I, just medical science found me in that way. What inspired you to be a living donor? Um, I actually had a friend who, when I first met her, it would have been about seven years ago, when I first started working with her, she was getting ready to take leave of absence for surgery, and it turns out she was giving a kidney to a brother-in-law. And uh, my words were, you can do that and not die. I really didn't know anything about living donation. And, of course, she told me, well, yeah, you can do that and not die. And I saw her as an active person, and I continued, you know, to be her friend. And she was a runner and really healthy. And so she popped into my head. So when I saw Liz's post through a friend on Facebook that she needed a kidney, I thought, oh, hey, Jill did that. And she's super healthy. I should look into that. And I did, and the cards lined up perfectly, and I can't believe how quickly and easily it was like in May when I applied, Um, and then here was September. Uh, I gave a kidney, and here it is, not even a full year later, and we're like, hey, everything's normal. And you can see the difference, how healthy she looks. I mean, every time I see her, I'm amazed. I really am. That's pretty cool. Not even six months later. I will say, oh, well, right. this is five months for later. me. I was on the list. Oh, I mean, I, I hear from the whole beginning. I oh, hear from, from the very beginning, beginning of the whole shebang. This time last year, I had no idea that I would be doing anything to Sydney. I really didn't. And then May, it just popped up and was one of those things that I should look into. And then, boom. I mean, and it's really changed my perspective. It's changed my life. I have this wonderful friend who I didn't know. I have this whole other family I didn't know. So I had no idea that this massive thing was coming up in my life. It's pretty cool. Liz, how long were you on the list? I um, got listed in 2013, so I was on the list for two and a half years. I had over 10 people test, and nobody made it through to either a match or to paired donation. So by a year ago this time, I I mean, I had had my fistula surgery in January to prepare for dialysis. And if Maria hadn't come along, the week of my transplant, I definitely would have started dialysis. I was down to 7% kidney function at that point and had already been um, not working for two years. Um, she really she was, was a gift. She was a gift. She was, it just really everything worked out perfectly. And, and I guess that's a part of the story that's important for people to know, which is you did not know each other before you connected through social media. No. My friend, Patty, who I know through her husband, she's my Facebook friend, and knowing that I had polycystic kidney disease, it wasn't a surprise that my kidneys were declining in function, and a lot of people with PKD are very healthy except for their kidneys and are very proactive about trying to find living donors. So after everybody in my family that could test tested and didn't pass through, I started a Facebook page, I started a website, um, and really did everything in my power to get my story out there and to try and find a donor. And my friend Patty reposted one of my pictures with the information to my transplant center on it, and that's what Maria saw. So we did Mm -hmm. not know each other at all when she saw my picture and decided to call and be tested. 
So, Maria, why Liz? When you saw her posting, what was it about her posting that you said, this is the person that I would like to give my kidney to? Well, the truth is no one had ever asked me before for a kidney. So when she popped up, I saw her, and I thought, oh, this is something that's a possibility. And the other thing was that I saw a picture of her and her family and thought, this girl's just like me. She's in her early 40s, and she lives an hour away, and just like a normal person. And she was a mom with a kid as a teenager. And I thought, like, this person's just like me. And basically she asked, like, really, I had never been approached not being a part of the kidney community at all. Now I've seen a ton of them and wish I had more kidneys to give, frankly. But at the time, I don't know anybody who was on the list looking for a, a donation, and it popped up. There she was, and the timing was right. And I thought, well, what the heck, I may as well. And um, I probably won't be a match because that's how these things work, but we'll see. And wouldn't that be kind of neat if it did? And I started messaging her right away, like, hey, what's your blood type? Because I didn't know about the EPR kidney exchange or anything. So that's another part. If when we get to talking about the uh, Living Donor Act, the education of the public, I think, is super important because there are people like me who are healthy who have no clue that we can do this or just don't have the in. So it popped up, and it was my in, and I responded. So I think the asking part and the educating part is really important for people outside the kidney community because we really don't know much. We really don't. You'd mentioned the kidney community. And the three of us had spent day on Capitol Hill on Kidney Community Advocacy Day before the transplant advocating for the introduction of the Living Donor Act. And it was introduced in Congress, um, both the House and the Senate, last month. And Obviously, ASN is very excited about the legislation. The TKD Foundation is excited about the legislation. And I'd say every member of the community and the broader transplant community are thrilled that it's been introduced and will advocate strongly for it to be passed this year. Um, the legislation basically has three elements, and we can kind of work through those. The first is really element of the bill is really around prohibiting insurance companies and others from denying coverage for or charging higher premiums for people who are living donors. And so, you know, I'm just wondering, Maria, from your perspective, how that – have you faced any of those issues? Has that been a challenge for you? Because um, that is, you know, the first component of the bill. Right. Um, I have not personally experienced that, but I've also not gone to attempt to get life insurance or, or long-term disability insurance since the transplant. I had a job change shortly thereafter, and so that's really important as I go forward. I'm also kind of in that, you know, early 40s thing where I think that I have all this time in the world to put that stuff together. So for me, that wasn't something that I thought about. As I get older, I think that's incredibly helpful and important. Um, I know for people who are more on top of it and also who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, or just think about the future more planning financially, that's huge. Um, there's a lot to kind of overcome as far as things people think happen to you when you give a kidney, and you get a lot of reaction from people who think you're, you know, you're removing your rib, to, that you put yourself at this major risk for kidney failure, um, all kinds of stuff. And then people also think, oh, okay, well, you won't be able to get this kind of insurance or you're going to have this pre-existing condition. I think it's super important to any kind of obstacle that's out there we need to get rid of because, you know, what, we had 5,000 total transplants last year and 100,000 people. No, no, 17,000. Really? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's craziness. Yeah. Anyway, and with it being so 
I mean, we've already gotten rid of the, I feel like, the medical obstacles, you know. By the way, I have to put a plug in there for a single incision laparoscopic because that was my surgery that I also credit with my quick recovery because I have the tiny little scar and extremely little opening for infection and all that. But we've got we've gotten further with getting rid of some of the medical constraints, and we need to get rid of any other little financial and then hopefully social kind of block to donation because there there is a lot of hesitation and fear that you find when you start telling people you're going to give a kidney. It's very interesting the reactions you get. So, Liz, let's sort of move you that as a transition to the second part of the bill, which is the educational piece and really directing the Department of Health and Human Services to update educational material to reflect the fact that, you know, there are these barriers to living donation um, would be removed as a result of the legislation. From your perspective, what are some of the messages that you think we should use to educate the public about the, both the gift of the transplant but also being a living donor? Well, I think the education comes in in a lot of ways. And what Maria was just talking about, um, it comes down to educating insurance companies and things that, A, living donors are extremely well vetted. They have to be incredibly healthy to give. So actually, as insurance risks, I think they're probably better than the general population. And that donating a kidney has no adverse effect on your life expectancy or health, partially because kidney donors are so well screened. The other thing Yeah, we have a higher life expectancy. Yeah. The other thing that I think is really important about education is like Maria said, she considered donation because she knew Jill. And Mm -hmm. that is what I think education really comes down to. If you don't know somebody who needs an organ or if you don't know somebody who has personally donated one, it's not something that's even on most people's radar. And that's where I think the education part comes in. I wanted to tell them in Congress, if you just gave Maria and I train tickets, we could go around the country and get those extra 500 donors that we need to save Medicare up to a billion dollars in the next 10 years. And then for my part for education is just for people knowing that a living donor kidney is expected to last twice as long as a deceased donor kidney. And getting people off the waiting list before they have to go on dialysis, it really increases quality of life. So for, I mean, there are all of those facets of education that are really important for people to know. So if they don't have a Jill like Maria did, they have some mm-hmm. form of, of knowledge about this, that it's not a scary procedure anymore right. and it's not as big and scary of a surgery as it, as it yeah. used to be, even just 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole myth, wherever it came from, that it's harder on the donor than the recipient still persists. And I've heard this from more than one donor since I've met other living donors. And I I can't even imagine. Um, It's certainly not the truth now, unless you want to look at it as if, like, it's going healthy and then I have to come out with a little bit of recovery. But it's over in a couple of weeks for me, whereas a recipient has a long, lifelong obligation, basically, and it's another stage in their disease where they need to protect the gift that was given them. But you do hear that it's harder on the donor, and my goodness, no way, not even close. So that's the third part of the bill is, is just clarifying that, that living donors can use the Family Medical Leave Act for their recovery time. And it sounds like, for Maria, your recovery time was relatively short, a couple of weeks. And so mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I think, you know, the point that both of you made in the beginning about the advances in science and in medicine over the last decade, as well as I think the advent of social media, it seems like we have this unique opportunity both to increase the number of living donors, but also increase the number of transplants, removing people from the waiting list, but also mm-hmm. avoiding having U.S. citizens go into the Medicare um, ESRD program, which would obviously save the government mm-hmm. money, which is another consideration. Um, so it seems like this is a situation where everything's kind of, there's a harmonic confluence, if you will, of factors mm-hmm. that are positive for everyone. I would say absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, Todd, one thing that three of us did talk about when we were um, in Congress right before the transplant was the Family Medical Leave Act. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, one of the most important things about the Living Donor Protection Act. Um, I think it's just kind of crazy that Maria, who was donating a kidney because she was not related to me, could not take FMLA to recover. Yet my husband, who is a great guy, was able to take FMLA to take care of me after the transplant. So when I have to, you know, go back to Maryland for breathing treatments or biopsies, he's he has taken FMLA leave for that intermittently. So that's definitely one thing that I think is really, really important about the Living Donor Act because donors mm-hmm. should be uh, put up on a pedestal and given uh-huh. every opportunity to recover and not face losing their jobs or discrimination. Right. Yeah, and in my case, I wasn't in a heavy physical lifting job, so my recovery didn't keep me out very much because I, I wasn't required to lift for my job. Um, however, we were talking to different people, um, some people who work in construction, they need, they need more like six weeks off at least because of the demands of their job. Um, and I have heard from different people. My friend who was a teacher was only allowed to take off a week and a half, so that was the number of days that she had acquired for her vacation, and after that, they weren't allowed. She was not allowed to take off more even without pay, without risking losing her job, which is ridiculous. So she did it, but she suffered. Uh, and the other thing is that we've heard of people worrying about losing their jobs, so they go back before they're ready, and again, in a physical lifting job, and then they end up picking something up at four weeks that's 40 pounds, and they herniate, and then they have to go back and get a second surgery. Um, and, again, that's covered, you know, through the Medicaid or Medicare. So it costs more money in that way, but it's also not good for the donor to have to go through that again. So with FMLA, people would have that security where they're not going to lose their job. And I think that's particularly important for people who have, obviously, a non-office job where they can't just sit at their desk um, or who don't, you know, can't dictate or don't have flexible employers if they need to take parcel days or whatever, where I, I was very lucky and I was able to do that. But hopefully this will increase the number of people who can take that time off. So, Liz, I'd like to give you the last word. If you have one message to give the, to Congress as they consider the Living Donor Act of 2016, what would that message be? I would tell Congress that with over 100,000 people waiting for kidneys, the Living Donor Protection Act is one of the most important bipartisan things that they could agree on right now because there aren't enough deceased donors to help those people, and there are people dying every day who are waiting for kidneys. And increasing living donation not only saves money for our country, but it also provides a much better quality of life for those people who are waiting for kidneys than deceased donation can. 
and I am here today and got to celebrate Christmas and my birthday and my husband's birthday with my family because of a living donor. And that is priceless. And so to remove impediments to living donation, I think, is super important. Well, Liz, thank you for joining us today. And Maria, thank you for joining us as well. And also, thank you for being a living donor. We joked about the fact that you were a hero, but you really are. And it's just remarkable what you've done, both for Liz's life, but for all of us. So thank you both for joining us. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Todd. We'll certainly continue to do everything we can to increase living donation by sharing our story. Yep, get the word out as much as we can. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Nephrology.